Well, we're going to be looking for the next four weeks uh, at the Father Heart of God and uh, really felt led to do this, actually. Felt God spoke to me about it. And then I was so encouraged to see that actually next week is Father's Day and I hadn't even clocked it. And uh, we decided that we were going to share this series. Simon is going to do a week. Steve Wicking is going to do a week. So the next four weeks, we're going to share it out a bit and I'm really excited about what's coming with that. So I don't think Father's Day, right in the middle of it, is any coincidence. I think this is like, something that God wants to talk to us about. And it's kind of like identity reversed. So in the church here, we've done a lot on identity, our identity in Christ. But this is kind of identity of God. This is who is God. It's not so much about who we are, but who God is in relation to us, because God is our Father. So we're going to be looking at the Father heart of God. And this understanding, this teaching, I I want to say rather boldly, is foundational to a right relationship with God. Because if we don't know God as our Father, or that his heart towards us is one of unconditional love, then our relationship with him... And with one another will be dysfunctional. It just won't work properly. We won't communicate properly, we won't grow properly, and we won't thrive together as people. This is crucial, it's a crucial thing for us to settle in our lives, not just once, but I think we need to revisit it time and time again. The Father Heart of God, His love for us. We need to get this into our, our beings. And for me, um, because, I don't know, I've heard a few Father Heart type of talks and it seems like everyone does their testimony in it. And, uh, and I feel like I need to do it as well. So I think it's really important, part of the story, part of the teaching, is to understand it from a point of view of testimony and what God has done in our own lives. Because um, I've got to say, for me, for reasons that I don't fully understand, I've always found this a bit of a difficult subject uh, a bit of a difficult aspect of my relationship with God. I mean, it might surprise or disillusion or discourage you, but I've, growing up, um, I found the concept of God's love a bit strange. God loving me and me loving God and Jesus being a man and all this kind of thing. I found it a little bit strange to get my head around. And I found myself even reacting to it negatively and was quite resistant, quite hard, I guess. Uh, and I really don't know why. Uh, I had a good upbringing. Um, there was nothing particular that would have made me that way, I don't think. And I remember getting frustrated one occasion with my dad, who was the pastor of our church at the time, because he, he did yet another sermon on the love of God. Yet another. I mean, it, it seemed like every week he would preach about the love of God, week in, week out. And I said to him, Dad, for goodness sake, can't you think of something else to preach about? And uh, I think he was a bit shocked by my outburst, and he said, well, what else is there? God is love. What else can I speak about? And that didn't help a lot, Dad. But it's been a bit of a journey for me, and I guess it, I must have been pretty locked up emotionally, and afraid of emotion even, a bit driven, perhaps performance orientated. But God's done some amazing things in my life, and over the years it just seems like God has just been softening my heart, it has been breaking down those walls of resistance. And these days I'm pretty much a big softy. So if you know me at all, I cry at just about anything, and I'm quite affectionate and all the rest. And this is a work of God, because 
even 10 or 12 years ago, I wasn't like that. It's something that God has done in my life. Even my parents commented uh, recently just saying, you're not the hard man that you used to be. God has done something amazing in your life. So that's my justification for crying all the time. (laughs) But it's not just about my experience. I found from talking to lots of people over the years that it just seems that the revelation of the Father's heart towards us is a battleground. Uh, So I think we do need to just keep coming to this theme. And there are things from our own lives, I think, that get in the way, they hinder us, and the effect of an increasingly dysfunctional society, and even the enemy himself, they're all working against us to keep us out of the arms of a loving Heavenly Father. I mean, do you know the Father's love today? It's just been wonderful just in the worship, just the love of God has just come through time and time again. But do you know the Father's love? Do you know him as your father? Do you know him even as your daddy? I've always kind of struggled a bit with that, you know, my daddy, God, my daddy. But are you intimate with Father God? Lord Jesus... Would you come and show us the Father today? And Lord, as I preach your word, would you send signs following? Lord, I pray for many encounters with the Father's love. Would you just continue to break out over us? Just pour out your love on your people today. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the first thing I want us to see is that God created us for intimacy. We were never meant to be separated from him. And just how intimate he intended us to be can be seen in his stated intention in creating us. I just got to see this all over again recently, perhaps even for the first time. In Genesis 1, we get to overhear a conversation that's taking place in the Godhead. And the Father is speaking to the Son and the Spirit's there and they're having this conversation. And in verse 26, Father says this, he says, let us make man in our image. Let's make man in our likeness. So let's make another one like us. It's it's time to extend the family. It's kind of like the conversation I had with my wife many years ago It's time to have a baby. Somebody who's going to carry on our genes. Somebody who will bear our resemblance, the excitement of that. Do you see? That's what God is like. That's what he wanted. We're going to increase the family. Let's create someone like us. And this is spoken from the Godhead, the Trinity. Just think about that. There's no separation there. There's no division. There's a perfect unity. There is an intimacy. There's a fellowship there that we can't even begin to imagine. They're kind of indivisible from one another. Let us create one in our image. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is the model family. It's the relationship which, with man that God intended, modeled there in the Trinity. And this is then illustrated for us when it comes to God's creation of woman. So in Genesis 2, it tells us about the first marriage in the Garden of Eden. 
and it says that God made woman out of a rib in Adam's side. And the man said, looking at the woman, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Yes, God said, perfectly united. It's one flesh. Such unity, such intimacy. I mean, that's pretty personal, isn't it? Out of Adam's side. And that's what God wanted for each one of us. That was his original plan for mankind, united with God and one with one another through love. And the devil hates it. And the worldly system he rules vehemently opposes it. And if he can keep you out of that relationship, he's succeeded. You see, from the beginning, it was the devil's plan to separate us from the Father. His intention was to break this union with our Creator. He wanted to break up the family, and he's still doing it today. Because, you see, Satan is all about division, and even his name means adversary, accuser. Everything about him is contrary to the unity that God blesses. And, of course, Satan himself was separated from God. He was cast out of heaven. Why? Because he tried to disrupt the unity of heaven with a rebellion. So that's him, that's his root, that's where he comes from. And his mission on earth was and is to separate us and keep us separated from Father God and from one another. I mean, you've only got to look around the world today to see it. I mean, our world is just full of division. There's wars where nations oppose one another. Even within nations, people oppose one another. Families are divided, marriages break down, even churches split acrimoniously. Division, the spirit of division and rebellion are direct outcomes of that original and painful separation from God, and it's demonic in origin. And I want you to see that today. I want you to understand this, that God is not the author of division and separation. And this pain that I described isn't just about man. It's not just in man. Just listen to the pain in God's heart as he goes to find Adam in the garden. This is called the fall quite often, but it's in Genesis 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord God called to man, Where are you? Where are you? Adam, I'm looking for you. Are you hiding? Where are you? What are you doing there? What, are you naked? I don't know if you've ever had that experience of just feeling naked. You've just been caught out doing something. That feeling of exposure, that the embarrassment, you've been caught doing something. Adam and Eve literally felt their nakedness in the presence of God. Yes, Father, Adam says, and I fear you now. That's what comes out. He says, I'm not covered. I'm out of relationship. I'm having to hide here. I can't come any closer. And you see, fear is the opposite of love. And I read this somewhere recently. You can't cast out a spirit of fear. You can't cast it out. It's loved out of us. You can't cast out a spirit of fear, it's loved out of us. And the Bible tells us that unhealthy fear is a consequence of not having been perfected in love. 
And there is only one perfect love that casts out fear, and that's the Father's love. If we are separated from the Father's love, we are in torment. That's the description of humankind. We need to know the love of the Father. You know, perhaps I'm reading a bit too much into these verses, but surely there is the sound of a father's pain there in those words. Adam, where are you? I mean, even like the the pain or a loss of a child. I mean, if you're a parent, you're going to know that even if the loss is temporary, it's terrifying. So just one occasion, this is Sam, uh, my little boy. Well, do you know, he got lost on one occasion. I, I, I'm not actually sure that Alison knows this. Um, completely lost. I had no idea where he was. I just knew that he was somewhere in Toys R Us. And the panic, the fear that, oh, it's just the most awful feeling to know that you've lost one of your children. What am I going to tell my wife when I get home? I've lost him. I have no idea where he is. Eventually I find him in one of those car things, you know, those plastic cars, zooming up and down the... uh, up and down the aisle there, but the feeling, the pain, the, the, the things that went through my mind, a father's loss. How much more pain when it's, it's permanent? You might recognise this couple. They're in the news at the moment. This is Kate and Jerry McCann. Seven years, and then somebody finds something... But for seven years, they've had no knowledge. We still don't know if it is actually Madeline. I mean, I've just been so hurt for them, just watching them through this time, that initial interview and all the stuff that was said. The pain is so evident. You can still see it in their faces now. And I don't know what's going to come out of this latest digging. I hope that they're going to find an answer. Because just the pain of not knowing, but the pain of loss... What about eternal loss? What about lost forever? I mean, we can only imagine what Father God feels or how he longs for us. And we're just mere humans and we feel such strong emotions. Even as I talked about those two situations, we've been able to identify with that. But how much more God? God is a father, and he feels the pain of that loss. God as father. You see, God longs for intimacy. (laughs) Did you know that? God who sits in heaven, the almighty, he doesn't need anything or anyone, but he longs for intimacy with me and with you. He longs for intimacy. He longs to father us. I mean, that was the original plan, even though it seems that for generations through the Old Testament, God was very rarely known as Father. Simon Clay did a bit of research on this, and he found that God appeared as Father only 17 times in the whole of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, God is Father in 261 occasions, in every book of the New Testament bar one. (laughs) Wow! Wow! 
And even when he does appear in the Old Testament as father, it seems that the phrase is used in more of a biological than a relational sense. So father and creator of all things, or the one who brought forth life. Yahweh was considered so holy that the Hebrews couldn't even say it out loud. They couldn't even say the name of God. What kind of relationship is that? I mean, I don't know, doesn't this kind of underline the distance between us, calling God Yahweh? It certainly couldn't be described as intimate. But although, and so, but although God wasn't officially or commonly known as Father, there are many references to his Father heart towards people. So in Psalm 103, it's, he talk, it talks about a Father who has compassion on his children. So the Lord, Yahweh, has compassion on all who fear him. Psalm 27, though my father and mother forsook me, the Lord, Yahweh, will receive me. Isaiah 49, God says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born, though she may forget I will not forget you. Can you hear my father heart? <laughs> Can you hear it coming out? It's like these, there's these hints, there's these references to the father heart of God. And I like to think of them as echoes of that cry that Adam heard in the garden right after the fall. Adam, literally, earth man, where are you? Where are you? It's a cry for intimacy. And there has always been a longing in the heart of God to be known as Father. It's always been there. It's not just the latest thing that's come on the charismatic renewal. He's always wanted us to know him as Father. A relationship that isn't based on fear, but on his vast and unmeasured and unconditional love. So John, when he writes in the New Testament, tells us about a God who is a Father God. And what motivated the Father to send Jesus? He says, God, who so loved the world, sent his only Son. Father sent his only Son because he so loved the world. His son, his son. And it had to be his son because only a son can truly reflect the Father. See, God wanted mankind to know what he was really like, so he sent his son. They'll they'll recognize him because of the family resemblance. I'll send my son. In fact, Jesus, it says in Hebrews 1, is the exact representation of the Father. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. So Jesus came to show us what the Father is like, what he is really like. He even told his disciples on one occasion, he says, look, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. What a claim. This is the one that we can't even look on his face. We can't even look on the face of God, and yet Jesus says to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's no difference. We're exactly the same. Jesus said, if you want to see what the Father is like, look at me. If you want to know what the Father does, watch me. If you want to hear what the Father says, listen to me. Listen to my words. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. I am in the Father and he is in me. Everything that Jesus did, everything that he said, 
was in exact representation of the Father heart of God. Isn't that amazing? So when he picked up the little children to bless them, when he forgave the woman caught in the very act of adultery, when he healed the sick, when he set the demonized free, when he multiplied food for hungry people, when he was called a friend of sinners, even when he washed his disciples' feet, he was showing us what the Father was really like. He was saying by these things, look, God is not distant and uncaring. He is not hard and unfeeling. He's not remote from our suffering. He's not too busy for us. You know, Jesus, he was never in a hurry. He was never too busy. He got tired, but still people came to him and he had time for them. Because you see, actually the Father is loving and patient. He's merciful and kind. See, God isn't like those religious leaders, so legalistic and putting all these barriers in the way. God is not a legalist. He's full of grace. He never gives up on any of us. Actually... If you watch Jesus really closely, you'll see that actually it seems that the Father prefers the company of sinners to some of the religious people of the time. That's something to bear in mind. And I don't know what your view of God has been up until now, but is it like this? Is it like Jesus? Because so often having that wrong concept of what God is like, not understanding the Father heart of God, is what keeps us from intimacy with him. It blocks out the Father's love from our hearts. We just can't come near to a God like that. He's too scary. He's too remote. He's too uncaring. He's too hard. I don't know what he's going to do to me. Please, will you look at Jesus? Because that's what the Father is like. Isn't that amazing? Jesus shows us what the Father is like and he shows us the kind of relationship that the Father wants with us. See, one of the most amazing and astounding things about the New Testament to me was the fact that Jesus called God Almighty Father. He called him Father. It's like Jesus overlooks all of the multiple names and descriptions of God in the Old Testament. He ignores every one of them and instead reveals God through one name and one name only, Father, Father, Father. He's always like that. You can never catch him out. He always talks about God like this. It's a constant theme of his life. Almost everything he talks about relates back to this family intimacy. He talks about my father's will. He talks about my father's work, my father's house, my father and me, and so on. And even when he prays, he calls God Father. I don't know if we can grasp just how offensive and revolutionary that was. We don't have the background of the people of Jesus' time. It just wasn't how the Hebrews were taught to think about God or pray to him. Nobody would have presumed that intimacy with God. It was shocking. It was appalling. They would have used titles like God of Abraham or God of Isaac, God of Jacob or Holy One, Almighty God, Mighty One, all very impersonal, all very functional, underlining their distance and humility and their fear of God. 
There was no relationship, there was no closeness, there was even an understanding of God's grace, but there was no intimacy. There couldn't be. And so when Jesus called God Father and then tells his disciples, look, this is how I want you to pray, our Father. It's appalling, it's shocking. So for this it drove the religious people totally mad. So for this reason, John says, they all tried to kill him because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. (laughs) Of course he was. And of course it was the father through Jesus who was calling all mankind back into that relationship that he'd always intended for us. Because you see, through Jesus... And his work on the cross, God is our Father too. That's why we can call him Father. God is our Father. It's always been the plan. It's always been his intention from the beginning of time. God wanted us to be a part of the family where we get to call him Father too. It's why Jesus came. It's, he came to restore us to the Father and his death and his resurrection has made it possible. <coughs> Let's never get tired of that. Let's never get tired of what Jesus has done, you know. Sin has been dealt with, so there's no longer any nakedness because we're clothed in his righteousness. No longer any need for hiding in the garden or shame because his blood cleanses us and it removes all division. We can come into relationship with God. We can come into unity with him. Jesus tells us himself, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Through me, you come to the Father. It's through me, through that relationship, you come into that relationship of the fatherhood of God. Not everybody got this at the time Jesus said these things. Many don't get it now, even some Christians. We don't get it that we can come into that kind of relationship, that kind of intimacy, that kind of closeness. I need to take a breath. But John tells us so clearly, so clearly, he says in chapter 1, verse 12, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. The right to become, the right to call God Father. The right to presume the same intimacy of relationship that Jesus showed us and that he has had in the Trinity since from the before time began. Do you realize what kind of intimacy that means? God says, let's make man in our image. Let's make him just like us. Let's bring him into that kind of closeness, that kind of intimacy, that kind of family relationship. That's what it means. That's what it means. That's what the cross is reversed. That's the gap that's been restored. But even more than that, you know, we can still even have a sense of distance by calling God our Father. Safety in numbers? It's okay, we together pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father. And it still feels a bit safe, but actually it's my Father. He is my Father. He is your Father. Have you grasped this yet? Have you grasped what he's done? Have you grasped the relationship that he has for you? I went through a time, and sorry if you've heard this before, 
But I went through a time as a teenager where I really, really genuinely doubted my salvation. I really thought I wasn't a Christian. For some reason, it had come into my head. I couldn't shake it off. And I wasn't born again. I was convinced of too many things in my life, and I just thought, I can't be a Christian. So I decided to do something very brave for a teenage boy. I decided to fast for the whole weekend until I knew that God was my father, till he was my saviour, till I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was born again. So Saturday morning I got up early and I was really full of, oh, you know, I'm going to get this sorted. God, I started praying and I was praying and I was praying and there was nothing, nothing. The only thing I could hear was the grumbling of my stomach. And I got to lunchtime. I was getting really desperate by now because my stomach was so hungry. And God still hadn't said anything to me. I still didn't feel anything. I still didn't know anything different. And it was as I was uh, taking a bathroom break. And I was just standing there. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Washing my hands. And I found myself just saying, oh, Father, 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 oh, Father God, Father. And then suddenly, quick as a flash, the Holy Spirit spoke. He says, why are you calling me Father? Because I'm your son. And I didn't have any doubts anymore, so I celebrated with a sausage sandwich. <laughs> so it's God's fault. But this is a perfect illustration of Paul's words in Romans 8, 13, 15. Paul says, The spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by that spirit, deep within, crying from deep within us, almost unconscious, we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. This word Abba, it's an Aramaic word. It's the word that children use, would use to call their father Papa or Daddy. It's a very intimate word. Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. Intimacy and respect. Intimacy and respect, but not distance. Does that Abba cry resonate in your heart today? Does it witness in your heart? Abba, Father. There is a battle for the Father heart of God. I want to tell you that. And we're going to look more into this as the series progresses, but you need to know that there is a concerted attempt to keep every Christian away from the Father's love. There's a battle on. The enemy is against us. The world is full of division, and there are even things in our own lives that keep us from experiencing the Father's love. And I told you about some of mine earlier, this kind of hardness, this drivenness. But this is an ongoing process of revelation. And so, you know, even uh, 
people gave their testimonies about Catalyst Festival last week, and this is mine because at Catalyst Festival I felt like God got me again with the Father's love. He got me. He so got me. Uh, and I really needed it. I don't know why, maybe my heart just got a bit crusty, a bit fusty, a bit too much work and not enough fun. I don't know what it was. But I just felt the need. So I asked two of the, two of the guys on the team, I said, guys, would you just pray for me? I just feel like I need a fresh revelation of the Father's love at the moment. I just feel dry. And they prayed for me. And, and honestly, I didn't really feel anything. But I just took it by faith. I said, Lord, thank you. But you know, over the next day, and the next day, and then the next day, and then even this morning, (laughs) I've just felt like waves of the Father's love have just kept coming on me. Just waves of his love. And I feel like even more of those walls I wasn't even aware of have been broken down again. I'm even softer and soppier. (laughs) I mean, perhaps you need that too. Perhaps there's just a longing in your heart. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about. There's just kind of an ache. Oh God, I need to know that you love me. I need to know that love. Because you know, there is nothing that can separate us from his love. Do you know there is nothing that can get away of him loving us? There is nothing. And you think, well, maybe there may be something. And Paul says it so clearly in Romans 8. He says, I am convinced. And he went through some stuff. He says, I'm convinced. Look, I've tried it all. Death can't separate me. Neither can life. I've been near death. I've also lived. There aren't any angels that can keep me away from God's love. There aren't even any demons. There's no, nothing from the present that can separate me. There's nothing I know from the future. And there's nothing in my past that can keep me from his love. There's no height. There's no depth. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing else in all of creation that can separate me from the love of God. I've tried it. I've tested it. I've proved it. I know it. There's nothing. And you might be sitting there thinking, oh, but, you know, I've got this and that. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> You think of anything, and there's nothing that can separate you from his love. If you need to know a a deluge, a fresh impartation of the love of God, I want to just say to you, Christian, there's nothing that can separate you from his love. But the reality is, is that many of us, even as Christians, can live separated feeling separated, feeling disconnected. We're not living in the knowledge and understanding of the Father's love, even though there's nothing. So let me just ask you a blunt question. Do you need a fresh outpouring of the love of God, a fresh deluge, a fresh impartation of the love of God today? One person does. Let me ask you again, do you need a fresh outpouring, a deluge, a washing, a filling with the Holy Spirit and with the love of God? Are you thirsty for that? Are you wanting to know that intimacy? I don't know, perhaps you've just been going on too long, you've been too busy. I was talking to somebody earlier, I said, I'm really stressed at work. Stress. You think, do you know, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God, but stress seems to. It is, it's, it's a pandemic thing in our society. 
There's nothing. I just feel absolutely that God wants to send the love of God amongst us.